You're listening to Being Well with BU, a Bournemouth University podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Being Well with BU. I'm joined by Kerry and Karen again, but um, she's been very busy dealing with the pandemic response. Um, but she's back because this is quite an important episode of this podcast um, because we are one year into the pandemic as a kind of whole as a country. It's been one year since we first went into lockdown and we all kind of first started to feel the real effects of um, of this virus on our country. Um, so we're going to talk about the whole year, what we've learned, what's been good, what's been bad. Um, and hopefully share some personal reflections as well along the way. So we'll start by looking at the country as a whole. Um, so we went into lockdown a year ago. Um, and I think since then, it's fair to say we've been through some mixed phases. We've had that, we had that long lockdown initially, then we came out and we had sort of a relatively normal-ish summer with um, rule of six and a little bit more socializing and a bit more outside time. Then we went back into lockdown in November for that circuit breaker lockdown, had a little bit of time back out, normal time um, in December. And then we've been pretty much back in solid lockdown ever since Christmas. Um, And I think it's fair to say this country has done some good things this year we've got a really fast vaccine program um I've been vaccinated Kerry was telling me she's been vaccinated it's that's great but we've also had some bad sides we have 126,000 deaths in this country which is a lot of people a lot of lost loved ones um Kerry Karen I don't know if you guys wanted to talk a little bit about about the national picture this year and I think you've noticed particularly yeah, I'm happy to go first if if you want. Thanks for inviting me back. It's it's a joy as always. Um, so I think the national picture is is an interesting one, and 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 it it kind of mirrors a lot of the work that we've done within the organisation. So whilst I'm more than happy to look at that, and just reflecting back in March last year, I have told anybody who's willing to listen really that I left <clears throat> Melbury House. Um, last March with others late one evening after we'd sort of gathered what we thought we'd need for a few weeks. Um, honestly, honestly thinking that some of those people I may not see again or at the at the best case scenario, we might all get away with maybe, um, you know, having some uh, being affected in some way by either family members or, or, or people that we loved from sort of friendship groups and things. And actually, that when I think back to that, that's a really kind of dark time for lots of people. The uncertainty, the level of uncertainty uh, was huge. And yet we were in this position. Certainly I was in this position of kind of um, along with Kerry and other other managers of sort of trying to think next steps all the time. So it almost felt like you didn't have enough time to really kind of reflect on what might happen um, in your own life temporarily um, and and because you were, you were looking forward and you were looking forward to what we needed to do for staff and students at, at BU. And I think and I think you're absolutely right to reflect the loss. And I think that's a really important, a really important point. 
Um, but loss has many forms, doesn't it? And it's, it, it is about it is about bereavement. It's also about for some people who've who've lost their livelihoods, who've lost their um, their way a little bit, maybe throughout this year. Um, and I think one of the things that's a theme I was thinking about what we talk about today, one of the things that is always a theme is when you are we've talked a bit in previous podcasts about control. You know, when you've got your when you've got some control over what you are making your decisions on. And I've certainly used in a training environment a thing called a control dartboard where you sort of hone in on the bits you can control and, and try and disregard or, or or worry less about the things you can't control. But of course, as this year's unfolded, the things we can't control have become all encompassing and and, and absolutely at the very focus. And and that the kind of analogy of um, going at somebody else's pace and going at somebody else's rhythm in terms of government responses, government decisions. And we, there's a lot in the media recently about, you know, should there be a national inquiry? Should we be looking at what the government did and how they handled it? And for me, the jury's out. This, uh, you know, the unprecedented word that we heard almost in every sentence back back in the spring of last year is factual. You know, no, but we, we can exercise. We know from a university we exercise annually about major incidents, crossing our fingers that they never happen. The government equally exercised for a national pandemic, but nobody, nobody could have envisaged that this this would happen. So. Um, you know, whatever becomes of um, trying to apportion blame anywhere, then, you know, that I think that's for a later time. Right now, we've still got lots to do, actually, as a country. We've got lots going on. We've got our relationships with kind of the EU, the current vaccine um, kind of uncertainties. And, and, and I think and I think it, it's it's been a long year, no doubt about that. Um, but I think there's still a, w- a way to go for both national effort and also us as an organisation. I'd agree with everything that Karen's just very eloquently said. And um, just to add to that, that I think, you know, when we when we first went into nas- national sort of lockdown, there was this kind of level of kind of it was unknown and it was new. And so for some people, it was like, you know, great, we're all at home. There's no cars on the roads. Nature was chirping away. And, you know, we were noticing things that we hadn't had time to notice in the past because we were so busy uh, in our lives, either going shopping, going out, going to work. And all of a sudden that was paused and we were forced into this sort of position where you were spending more time in your your accommodation, whether that's in a family home or whether that's in, you know, in your university accommodation. But you, you were sort of limited to what you could do. And I, and I remember the sort of first couple of weeks and there was this like really like um, good sort of community spirit. You know, people were out there helping each other and people were volunteering and really looking at the sort of, you know, the nature of people, the sort of, you know, the, the, the values of people who wanted to help others and who do everything to sort of go shopping for a neighbour or, you know, help someone else out who, who might not have the ability to go and, uh, and, and do a, a food shop, for example. Um, and that kind of, I think, a year later for me, I think people are just exhausted now. I think it was exciting. It was new. It was okay. I, I, I will dismiss the word exciting because I'm sure it wasn't ever exciting, but it was new and it was something that we, you know, we had to adapt to. And we, God, have we adapted to things? You know, we've been amazingly adaptive across the whole year um, as a community, nationally, in our own homes. 
But now it's kind of, I think, got to the point where people are just a little bit tired, a little bit fed up. And and, and that, for me, I'm really noticing in the news, in the way people behave, uh, the way people communicate with each other. You know, you're noticing this sort of dip in, in, in how, you know, people are perceiving the situation. Yeah, I think that's really true. We... It was, again, I won't use the word exciting, but it was new at the beginning, wasn't it? And I I liked working from home at the beginning. I still do like working from home, um, but it felt, we didn't know how long it was gonna go on at the beginning. And so it was easier, I think, to be optimistic about the situation and to adapt quite quickly. But the last year has been the furthest thing from normal that I can imagine. And we may have coped with it, but clearly, I'm thinking particularly the social side. We are such social beings and we're not meant to be this socially isolated for this length of time. And that, I think you're completely right, has taken a toll on people's um, ability to handle it as time goes on. And it is just, it is fatiguing. I feel fatigued of it. And you're right, you can see it in people's interactions. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I would message friends back and forth and FaceTime friends back and forth. And now it takes me, sometimes weeks to reply to people's messages because I'm just tired and it's not how we're supposed to be um, interacting with people. No, I, I agree. And I think we have adapted, you know, we are a, a race of, of people who will, who will adapt quite easily, but in order to get there, we go through a, a series of kind of different emotions. And, and I, I've long used um, a model um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was 1969, nearly as old as I am. So it's it's you can dust it off any shelf in any library, I'm sure. Um, but it, it you know starting off with kind of denial, going through frustration and anger, um, then a real dip. I mean, she called it depression. I'm sure it would still meet that criteria now for many many people uh, through that change curve before you get to the kind of growth bit about acceptance and decision making and, and trying to find some solutions and problem solving and, and it's our we might not recognize those elements of change for us but we all go through them and we all hit them at different points and I think still uh, people are hitting that at different points you know my as you know through different conversations that we've had and, and historical podcasts you know we've done a range of things to support staff and students through this and yet Every so often we'll get an email from somebody who will ask for something or ask for support in the same way that the majority did back in the spring or summer. And there's no there's no you know, we we don't sit there thinking, oh, for goodness sake, what, what? it's just that that person has hit that point in, in their change and their kind of uh, adaptation at, at a different um, point than, than others. And I think that's really important to remember that there is no one size fits all. And this goes right right back to the very first podcast about who can bake a cake and who sits in their dramas all day long. And, and, and it's absolutely true that, you know, people are still there to a certain degree in their in their ability to to kind of move forward for some. And and um the, the people are are working through that at their pace and depending on what else is going on for them. You know, there's lots of information out there on the internet in the, in the university's um, kind of resource bank. And, and when we're talking to people about staff who've been affected by childcare responsibilities, staff who've been affected by caring responsibilities, staff who are 
now doing different things and what they anticipated they would need to do. But also there's a group of staff who work for us who don't have either of those things going on. And we mustn't forget them. You know, students equally will have childcare and caring responsibilities. And there's also a group of students who don't have those things. But we mustn't discount that they've been affected in the same way as staff. And we mustn't forget those staff and students who might not fit into a category where we would ordinarily think my goodness they need more support or my goodness we need to be more tolerant and more accepting and more flexible with them you know simply going through a pandemic is enough for us to be flexible and responsive uh, and and I think that's important because as I said you know a few minutes ago this isn't over yet we, you know, I'm I'm not renowned for being uh, necessarily pessimistic, but we we have got a way to go still, um, and I think we need to just hold on to that. We've done so well to get where we are, but it's, it's all almost, isn't it? The final bits that are the hardest, the final the final bits, just to, just to get that sorted. But um, flexibility, support for all is the kind of is the kind of mantra at the moment. I think that probably leads us nicely into talking about what we as a university have actually changed and done and put into place um, during this pandemic for staff, for students, for our, for our community. I think going into lockdown a year ago was probably the easiest part of this process in that it, it felt that overnight people really embraced technology and embraced that sort of virtual support and online learning. And whether you're a student accessing your learning online or a member of staff rewriting all of your sort of curriculum so that it fits to that online learning, you know, that was done really quickly. And I know people felt incredibly exhausted as a result of it, but it, it, it was something that as a, as a university community, everybody worked together to ensure that the support, that the teaching, the learning was, was still there, albeit different to how it had been. Um, it's, it's interesting sort of thinking a, a sort of a, a year down the line and that thought about sort of, you know, it's going to take a, a bit longer to come out of this. Um, and actually, that's the bit we have to be most careful about and echoing what Karen has just been talking about around sort of the confidence in people being coming back onto to campus, being at different points. There are some people that will be quite anxious and there will be some people that can't wait and will be on the first bus you know, onto campus, you know, when they can. And, and again, you know, it's, it's acknowledging that difference. Um, but the, the one thing, and I'm sure Karen will, will talk about this, that I feel really proud about is how the BU community has responded and how everybody has worked together. And there's some real unsung heroes on campus, you know, particularly around the sort of estates team and Karen's team and how they've been making the campus safe, but also the testing centre. You know, this this is the most amazing resource. And I know because I've been helping to staff some of it. And uh, I have to say the people involved in that, you know, who are supporting students and staff coming in to get tested, you know, again, it's a really it's another really good example of um, of, of how the community has come together. Well, nice intro to that. Thank you, Kerry. Uh, as always, it, it there has been a lot going on on campus. Um, yes, there will be some staff who haven't been near campus in, in a year, but I think it's really worth taking the opportunity just to think about what's gone on. Notwithstanding, actually, just before I, I didn't want to forget the the efforts that some BU staff have also been doing towards the national kind of pandemic. I, I, I made myself a 
a little note to make sure that they got a nod today because there are some staff who've do, been doing some extraordinary things towards the national fight. Um, you know, from from opening up the innovation centre and making um, face face shields to um, providing some testing support at Pool General and all of the kind of research bits in 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 and amongst all of that. So I didn't I didn't want to to lose that, but. But you're right. There are a range of people who have been go kept going right through. Um, absolutely right to acknowledge estates um, colleagues because they've done an extraordinary job to get campus ready. You know, looking at all of our spaces, working out what the revised occupancy level would be to implement social distancing um, or physical distancing. I like to call it because you know we don't want to take away the social the social bit. But I think. Um, the test site is is also worth a nod and, and, and Kerry's absolutely right to raise it. You know, student ambassadors, colleagues from a, from agency working together, perfect strangers coming together for the greater good and doing an exceptional job. Um, and actually, with Kerry, someone who's, you know, taken a turn in overseeing that, um, it, it, they just kind of get on. They just get on and do it. And, and you're there as a, a kind of token supervisor, whatever that means, really, um, ensuring that they get the breaks and everything's everyone's OK. But actually, they're so well versed in the process. Um, and it, it was really instrumental around the Christmas vacation time. It was an important step that we did. We went in true BU style. We went large. We produced Gucci version of, uh, of testing uh, booths and modules and if you if you can dig out some old footage of other other uh, higher education institutes at the time you know we were we were proud of what we'd achieved you know we weren't sat sat across the end of a, of a of a table with a bit of perspex between us and the student you know these were these were proper booths and and, and we were we were going to do it. and that's an absolute credit to the team that, that built that that facility but it has it has been a, a mainstay of staff and student activity since uh, late November, early December. I think it's an important aspect, and I think having the test facility for as long as the government wants us to test, and that currently is one of these unknown factors for the next few weeks about whether or not we'll maintain a test site because of Department for Health advice. Um, because that's who we're doing it for. You know, it's not Bournemouth Uni deciding that that's what we do. It's it's absolutely on behalf of, of the Department of Health. Um, or whether we'll look towards something that's aligned a little bit more to what schools and colleges are doing now, which is home testing. So um, another unknown right now as we record this podcast, but it certainly has shaped our our kind of weekly activity on campus since we went live with it in December, uh, late November, early December. Um, but it has provided actually some uh, assurance to staff who have returned. I know that uh, on the 8th of March, so last last Monday, um, you know, we had a, a slight increase in students returning to do some practical activity, mainly in the Innovation Centre at the front of Pool House. And, and one of the things about that was that staff also, along with the students, had the facility um, open so they could also be tested. And I think... Um, that has really given some staff some assurance um, and, and kept them in a, a, in a kind of rhythm of regular testing because they've been on campus and, that, and that's really important. And there's been, you know, a couple of occasions where it's really helped. It's helped us manage um, cases. It's helped us have early indicators 
on potential positive cases or actual positive cases that we've been able then to to track and support and make sure that staff are are isolating in, in the way that we've needed to. They've not been large in number. I'm I'm uh, delighted to say that actually our staff case number has been well controlled throughout, um, but the test site has been a, a major contributor to that for certain. Just whilst we're on sort of acknowledgement, um, and I, I actually think it's the wider sort of BU community and the staff and the research and everything else that's contributed, um, you know, just just you know, on behalf of the students, and I guess it's a kind of acknowledgement, but also a thank you to those who volunteered in, in many different roles, but also our healthcare students who found themselves, you know, on placement in practice in a pandemic, having to face experiences and having to, you know, to to come to terms with some quite difficult health, you know, environments and and outcomes. Um, and, and again, it's just, I guess, a, an indication of, of how the community has come together, whether you're a nursing student or whether you're, you know, a, 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 I don't know, a sort of um, law student who's volunteering at weekends. You know, this this has been a massive year for people. Um, and, and I think probably, you know, one of the things that we need to think about is how we can celebrate that, how we can acknowledge contributions in what has been a really challenging year for everybody now we're in a position where it's a year down the line and I think probably this is the point where we've we've learned a bit more um reflecting back on the year and how things have been yeah I, I just on that health student thing I think it's it was a real indicator for me fairly early on when I was involved in a conversation with colleagues in 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 the health uh faculty um, where they were discussing the fact that students were going into placements and having conversations about death in service. And, and you, it's such a sobering point that you, you have to just acknowledge that for a student going on a placement and having that conversation, that must have been the scariest of conversations. Um, and you know you can you can applaud the forethought and the care and protection and all of those things that the NHS clearly thought about for the student. But coming back to the conversation must have been one of the most scariest things above all, I would imagine. Absolutely, and um, and, and and again, you know, shout out to the the nursing and, and the health and social sciences colleagues who have been there for their students who have you know risen you know put their head up above and said actually you know we want we want some support here um and to our team of chaplains who have been really instrumental in supporting people not necessarily just with grief but with loss there's a broader sense of loss as well um and i think probably we could do a, a podcast that would last many many hours if we were to go through everything so for, for those listeners who haven't been mentioned then you know absolutely when we talk about the BU community, that's you, you know, that, that's everybody, and everybody has played their part. Yeah, without doubt, echo that completely. Yeah, absolutely. And as you've both um, mentioned there, it's it's been a really hard year for everybody for a whole number of reasons, whether you've dealt with um, bereavement or whether you've been dealing with the loss of your norm, like that, that's, that's a loss in and of itself, or the loss of your social circle. Um, or, or whatever that may be. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the um, the mental health support, the wellbeing support that we have in place, which is 
particularly robust through this. Um, and I also wanted to talk a little bit about um, what the trends have been there, how people have been feeling as an overall, whether we've seen more people reaching out for help um, through this past year. So from from my perspective, I think it's, there's been a real mix. There's been a, a, a steady number of students who have reached out and who we have supported. And those students who have found the last sort of you know year particularly difficult and those students starting with us for the first time in September. So new students coming in and, and coming into an experience which was very different to the one that they would have been expecting. Um, so, so we have, you know, we moved all of our support services online fairly quickly and, and that has been sort of churning over and we've been there and we've been supporting students. But I think there's also, um, there's also an element in that regardless of what support we put out there and regardless of what support we have for students and for staff, um, there is still a stigma. Um, around mental health. There is still a stigma about people feeling confident enough to actually reach out and ask for help. Um, and some people will still probably be sort of feeling quite, you know, that, that for them, you know, this isn't a big issue and, and actually they don't need help because they're fine. Um, so I think probably what I'm trying to say is, is, you know, our services are there, our support is there. We have tried really hard to adapt everything to be as flexible as we can so that people can access it but we also acknowledge that for some people, regardless of whatever the support is we put out there, um, we've still got some work to do around the stigma and, and the, you know, it's okay not to be okay element of that. Yeah, I um, I think one of the things that that's important for me here is that you can reach out and ask for help, whether you're at crisis or not. Um, there is still that stigma. I, I reached out to my GP recently because I'd just been feeling down and, and low energy and, not enjoying the things I used to enjoy, which are kind of, you know, classic depression, early depression signs, but I don't feel constantly sad, you know? And so I don't feel like I'm at crisis and that reaching out felt, there was a lot of guilt there because I, I didn't, I don't know that I felt that I deserved help or that I was bad enough to warrant, um, warrant any kind of help. But I think it's really important that we, that we, um, impress upon people that it doesn't matter how bad you are it's all a spectrum and we're all deserving of help and support if we need it I think you know I, I could sit and think well it's just the pandemic making me feel like this it's just the pandemic it's just the lockdown that doesn't mean it's any less valid of a feeling for me to be feeling um a bit down and I think there'll be a lot of people that might that might feel the same way I agree, Ella. Actually, and you, you know, the the feeling of guilt is a is a normal one, and it's very honest of you to share that with us. And thank you because it it leads it leads into the wider conversation. I think about people using NHS services and wanting to bother people, which I think um, uh, is possibly part of part of the the guilt thing, really. Um, we we've kind of we looked at uh, uh, Kerry and I have had long conversations since since we've worked together about health full stop um you know a lot of conversations about mental health but actually should we be pulling it back to just health and kind of bringing it under a, a wider umbrella to try to minimize the the existing stigma that there is around the kind of words mental health um and I think what the pandemic has done has given uh, us both staff and student support an opportunity to do that. So we've had to look at health in the round. We've had to look at health because of the, 
the fact that we were told very early on that this pandemic would have greater risk for certain criteria of health and certain criteria of people with a, with a, with types of diagnosis that they were living with ordinarily um, pre pre COVID, but that we knew very early would would increase their risk, and so that kind of screening exercise for both staff and and students was done was done reasonably quickly, sort of as a tool to think about. Um, what level of support we would provide, what might happen if we were to come back to campus in the summer and stay on campus, how you know what, how we would dovetail in to the government's um, messaging around shielding uh, and, and what that meant. And of course, whenever you go out to staff and you ask the question about health, invariably there are pockets of, of of bits of feedback that are related to mental well-being and, and it's really important that we don't discount them so whilst um in the main it's been about clinical vulnerability and and more latterly clinically extremely vulnerable and i know that you know this will bring some some future concerns for many staff and and students who who are currently protected for want of a better word under the kind of clinically extremely vulnerable criteria but know that that is going to end as we come out of this this lockdown um, within that feedback were staff who said I don't meet that criteria but and I think it's really important that you know we don't just kind of um, think well actually you know that you've got a pre-existing diagnosis therefore you'll tap into existing mechanisms of support because that may have been the case those support mechanisms may have dropped off because they were maybe face-to-face -face talking therapies or you know that the maybe they weren't able to adapt quickly to um, virtual support in the way that maybe others others had um, but this end of the year this end of the journey we're having more staff um, feedback that actually the pandemic in itself hasn't caused them uh, a degree of mental um, ill health, but it's triggered aspects that maybe had been laying dormant or they felt they'd coped with or they dealt with through other therapeutic interventions previously. And so it, it's, a, it's this kind of, um, I was listening to somebody this morning who was saying that COVID has got this long tail and even when it leaves through the door, there'll be this kind of tail left. And that might be traditionally some of the conversations we're starting to have around aspects of long COVID. So physical um, support required maybe for some staff and students who've been diagnosed and now have residual uh, physical aspects. Or the tail may be still there because of um, mental well-being. And, and I think um, any any advice, any anything that goes out to staff or students about early asking for support is worth every second of any podcast ever because you you've put it so well that actually there's a guilt in asking when you're not in crisis but actually that's the time to ask you know staff support and I'll absolutely hold a hold a virtual hand up that the the EAP the staff support we've got in place, they don't always get it right. They haven't always got it right all year, but then they are only working to a set criteria and a little bit more because of the pandemic. If we've got staff 
we need to ensure they're getting the right support and they're getting the right support early. And the earlier they ask, the better we can be at that. Um, so I would absolutely support your decision to speak to a GP and support anybody's decision to speak to their GP. Because if you talk to a GP right now, they are at pains to tell you that they are operating as per the normal. And it's really important that people use them. Yeah, and I think you're entirely right with that distinction between physical um, or, or rather lack thereof of distinction between physical and mental health. With diseases like um, cancer, for example, early intervention is always crucial. You don't want to get to crisis point before you ask for help. And it should be absolutely no different for um, for mental health as well. They should be um, treated exactly the same. So, yeah, absolutely. Right. I think we're at a good point now to um, move to talking about perhaps some of the positive side of things. We've talked a little bit about the negative. We've also acknowledged some of the really fantastic things that have come out of this um, pandemic, the, the, the efforts that people have made. Um, but I wanted to talk now a little bit about kind of the the next steps, the journey forward, because we have this roadmap from the government now as to how we get out of lockdown. And I know, Karen, you, you took pains to say that we're not out of the woods yet. This isn't over. And of course it's not, but we do have some uh, light at the end of the tunnel for want of a better phrase um, through that roadmap. So I wondered if you two had anything that um, you've enjoyed about this new way of living, new way of working, the, the, the adjustments that you've made because of lockdown and because of the pandemic that you hope to take forward or would like to take forward um, in the organization once we're kind of uh, past the body of this lockdown? So for me, um, I quite like working at home, actually. I quite like having that sort of designated space that I know that I can get on and do things. And also, um, I think what we've learned is that you can have meetings online. You can have, you know, you can do your work virtually. So I think moving forward, I'd quite like a bit of a high, that sort of hybrid, you know, being on campus, but also having that space and that security to be able to say, I, I want to work from home a couple of days a week so that I can equally focus on, you know, having some uh, some more reflective time as opposed to reactive time, which tends to, to happen when you're on campus. Um, that said, I think there is kind of an element of Zoom fatigue. I think the actual content of sort of meetings when you're having meetings is is gradually reduced in that you know people are now sort of on meetings and this may, it might just be me I might have this completely wrong but you know it's a window into other people's lives isn't it you've got sort of you know whether that's their surroundings or whether that's just kind of you know uh, how they're sort of responding to these online meetings um it's very easy to get distracted when you're not sitting in front of somebody um, and so that that for me is my learning that actually I, I need that hybrid because um, otherwise it, I, I, it's easy for me to get distracted with, with what's going on around me when I'm not in that face to face meeting. Um, so definitely keeping some of that. Um, I think one of the things I've certainly learned about myself is that I really like being with other people, but I'm actually OK on my own. You know, I, I can do both. And, and that for me, I always used to think that uh, I needed other people around me. You know, that sort of I needed that human contact and I always needed to have you know people around me in order to to, to be creative. But definitely what I've learned is that actually I do need that, but I can also do it, you know, by myself. I'm going to split it slightly into work, work and then me, if that's all right. So so from a work perspective, from a from a role and team perspective. I've really 
um, enjoyed the collaboration of some of the tasks and processes and systems that we've had to put in and the creativity of that. Um, in a large organisation, it's quite easy to go, you know, pre-COVID, to, to go at a pace that suits everybody. And so, you know, if you've got if you've got in your team a kind of a, a sparky, let's do this now kind of person, they tend to get tempered down to, you know, let's just hang on. We'll wait for this bit and this decision and this person and then that person's on leave. So when they come back, we'll do X and, and so on and so forth. But actually, um, I've quite liked the let's get this done and let's get this out ASAP and let's pull together and do that because it's in the very best interest of everybody. And the quicker we do it, the better it will be. And that's been received really well. And we've been able to put in systems and processes that we've built from scratch to meet the requirement of the organisation. And in doing that, what that's given me, I think, is a better understanding of what people are living with and managing in terms of their health. So pre-COVID, uh, there would be sometimes assumptions drawn about what information my team held on the health and well-being of individuals. Well, actually now, with their consent, we're actually holding a little bit more. So as we unfold ourselves from this kind of situation, I think that we're going to be in a better position to better meet the individual requirements of people going forward um, and check in more regularly and make sure that people are doing uh, so in a more proactive way, I think. So uh, and just the whole kind of collegiate way of working um, with with my team has been has been exceptional and that they have done remarkable stuff, as as was said earlier. But I think personally, I'm 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 also in the kind of hybrid camp looking forward. I am um, I've been on campus, as has Kerry, I know, uh, and it's a it's a dreary place when it's empty. I quite I quite like the buzz. I quite like the. You know, notwithstanding the fact that I'm responsible for health and safety, so clearly, currently, physically distanced buzz. But I, but I absolutely like working in an environment that's got that kind of buzz about it and that kind of um, youthfulness, exuberance of learning and absorbing and and doing all the things that students do and and the way that um, both academic and professional service staff support that. Um, is is really something that feeds feeds something within me and but 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 I I do recognize that probably looking forward five days solid of that with less reflection time and doing time is is probably something that I I will struggle with so we've started to talk about you know, the hybrid model. And I think to start with, it will be based on occupancy levels in buildings. And of course, that might then lead to, well, if it works like this, why can't it work like this going forward? But I think one of the things that we need to just acknowledge is that there are some staff where working on campus is the 100% of their, of their role. And so, you know, we need to just be clear about maybe degrees of hybrid and whether or not there are times in the year where that, that's a better fit for some or not, depending on what else is going on. But I, you know, it, it's, I think the time that I acknowledge where working from home is more difficult is a sun, is a, me sharing now, a Sunday evening. So a, a Sunday 
a Sunday uh, growing up uh, for me has never been the best day of the week for a range of reasons. Um, it was kind of exchange day with parents and it was, you know, all of those things really going back and it was an unsettling day. And I, I didn't really take to school very, very well in my early years for a range of reasons. And so Sunday night was, was, was not good. Traditionally bath and hair wash night in our house. And of course that was, that's, um, that's okay too. Uh, it doesn't happen now. I don't get, you know, there's no requirement for me to do that on a Sunday evening now as an adult, but, um, but there's that kind of what does Monday bring? And what I think I miss is the then moving, you know, tra traveling to work on a Monday to try to get over that what is going to happen. And now, of course, what I do is take about 12 steps into this workspace. And um, I'm not so sure that every Monday morning that's enough. So um, I know that in previous podcasts, you know, I've been waxing lyrical about walking once around the estate and trying to do a, a you know, a, a pretend journey to work that sort of wanes off when it's cold or wet. Um, and so I think working from home is is OK, but I need to build some kind of caveats around that if it's going to be if it's going to be going forward, definitely. Yeah, thank you for sharing both of you. I completely agree on the hybrid approach. I think working from home has its um, usefulness for me. It's when I need to get my head down and really concentrate on something without distractions. Um, but I would prefer to be uh, physically meeting people to have meetings. I, I, I don't do particularly well on Zoom or Teams meetings. Concentration doesn't work particularly well. Um, and I think you miss a bit of that collaboration as well. You can't jump in so easily on Zoom and Teams. So it's harder to have those kind of back and forth creative um, discussions, at least in the experience of my team. Um, fab, okay, we're kind of nearing the end. Um, is there anything else you guys wanted to cover before we have to say goodbye? I guess what, if it's okay, just to do a couple of minutes on kind of future plans for for coming back to campus i know that i know that um we will have an increasing uh number of staff over the next week or so becoming more concerned or or anxious about the return um we are at this pace that somebody else is setting we are you know waiting for the next installment of government advice and guidance about coming back to campus it it traditionally happens at a holiday time. So we were waiting at Christmas for various messages. We're now going to wait at Easter. Um, and whilst we can maybe preempt based on the 8th of March uh, movement of a number of students, you know, that, that, isn't, that isn't necessarily set in stone. And so we don't actually know what's going to be said. Um, we try our hardest to, um, to prime as many people nationally and lobby as many people to try and get early indicators of what that might be. But of course, um, that doesn't always, uh, isn't always fruitful. So I think for staff um, who may be listening to this, who are concerned about returning, you know, campus will remain as it is. It, it, it's met a criteria for, for COVID um, safety. It's been assessed, uh, it's regularly audited. The health and safety executive have indicated very strongly that we are doing exceptionally well on our physical um, contribution to, to safe working environments. And, I, and it's really important that I say that and I distinguish between the two because it, it's whilst that's been a massive job, 
that's the easier part of campus. The physical layout is easy. You know, the sanitation stations, the the enhanced cleaning, the floor markings, the signage, the the reduced occupancy, the the recently improved extraction systems. Because um, we're going technical a bit, but it, you know, the recent uh, variants have have been more airborne. Therefore, we've enhanced extraction to meet those those requirements. So so safe campus headline. What we can't always control all of the time is behavior and so we are hugely reliant on on not only staff coming back and experiencing what campus feels like now but also some promises and some and some um of their future behavior and the fact that they will work in a way that we need to we will need to work going forward for the foreseeable future and that's about you know, wearing their face covering, wearing wearing that in indoor spaces, um, working with students in a in a kind of a, a not a peer pressure way, but a sort of an example of how to behave on campus. And um, we've got staff who are um, regularly going around spaces used by students to make sure that they are complying with what they have to comply with in a supportive way. You know, we're not calling them. COVID police or anything daft like that it's uh you know don't forget your face covering and just be sure that you're sat apart and things all of the spaces that are being used by students currently are bookable spaces so we know which students are using them but of course as numbers potentially may and it is a may this, I'm not you know there's nothing veiled in this in this statement but it, they may increase then that has the potential to increase too so I, I would recommend for anyone who's concerned and anxious to come and take a look, to come and experience it, to come and feel, um, but also to be assured that so long as staff and students do what they're supposed to do, uh, it is uh, as safe as any other uh, workplace or any other building um, in the current in the current time. Thank you, Karen. I'm sure that will be reassuring to some people because you're absolutely right. It is a... Um, particularly nerve-wracking time especially if you've got people that haven't been on campus for a full year there's a, a really long time to be away from um an environment that that now potentially has uh slightly nerve-wracking connotations um but yeah i think we should reassure everyone that we're doing absolutely everything that we can to to keep our community safe anything else carrie i know you've got to dash off in a sec I have, but uh, no, just, um, I guess, just if I can finish on just, you know, again, thank you to all of the staff and students for the last year, you know, whatever your contribution has been, whether that's just about looking after yourself and managing your own sort of needs, um, or whether you've been supporting and managing others. Um, it really is appreciated. And um, I can't say that enough. Yeah, absolutely. It's been really hard for everyone, but we've also done a fantastic job at keeping going and continuing and coping with this with this whole year. Thank you for listening to Being Well with DU. You can find more Bournemouth University podcasts wherever you get your podcasts from, or for more information, help and support, visit us online at www.bournemouth.ac.uk.